a lot of real estate investors probably wouldn't have thought of starting their business in the 2008 crash and then jumping on YouTube and shooting videos to share what they were doing. But that's exactly what our guest today did to kick off his business. And 14 years later, he's known around the North America and, and even beyond as the note guy. He really has created a niche for himself and, and really does share some great marketing insights, ideas. And he's the first to admit he's made as many mistakes or more mistakes than he's had successes in marketing. Uh, but I think you'll like his message around consistency, getting out there and trying something. And as he said, embracing the suck. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to the REI Branded Podcast, helping you build your real estate personal brand. If you want to stand out from the crowd, attract the right leads, right partners, and right clients every time, you're in the right place. My name is Paul Kopkut, and each week we'll be looking to decode and uncover what makes you, the real estate business owner, brandtastic. Each episode is intended to be valuable, cut to the chase, and actionable, so you can spend less time marketing your business and still get the results you want. Thank you for listening. Now let's get to work on making you brandtastic. Okay, and welcome to today's episode of the REI Branded Podcast. And to, actually, the person we're going to meet today is the note guy, um, because my guest today is Scott Carson. He's the owner and managing member of WeCloseNotes.com, a Texas-based defaulted note-buying company that specializes in finding non-performing notes on residential and commercial properties and purchasing those notes. Uh, Scott is also an educator. He teaches uh, real estate investors about the note closing and just wrapped up hosting the highly popular 2021 Note Camp, which is the longest running online conference of its type, which features 20 to 30 speakers and experts in the note space. Scott is also a nationally syndicated radio host of the popular podcast, The Note Closers Show, which has millions of listeners, and he's also across 17 AM and FM radio stations. Congratulations. And Thanks. over a million, million downloads in over 130 countries. Uh, previously, Scott was a real estate coach for realestateprofitcoach.com and a mortgage banker and vice president with JP Morgan Chase. And he was also responsible for the successful launch of aerial capital mortgage lending helped provide investors with bank financing on their residential properties in over 30 states. If you check out his social media, you'll also see Scott is a bit of a sports fan, <laughs> uh, in, including the Texas Longhorns, and is often sharing his home cooking creations. And it looks like sometimes that's with his homegrown produce as well. So welcome, Scott. So. Hey, welcome to be here. You got to stay entertained if you can't travel anymore. So yeah, the last... Uh, <laughs> Last year has been interesting. We've grown, definitely stayed entertained at home, uh, growing a garden and enjoying, enjoying cooking. Had a few recipes, the, the recipe book, but honored to be here, uh, Paul. Just uh, excited to share, uh, you know, and help any of your listeners out there ex explode their message, exp explode their audience and businesses as well. Awesome. That's great. Well, I introduced you as the note guy. So how did that all get started? How did that happen? That's a, that's a great story. I was actually telling somebody about that a few minutes ago today, too. So back in uh, 2008, you know, I was uh, at the beginning of 2008, before the market went kaput here with a big, great recession, 
Yeah, I was running a, a mortgage company, my buddy Area Capital, you mentioned there, and doing what you know, doing well with that because it was, I mean, from 2004 to 2008, it was just crazy, you know, traveling the country, um, speaking at expos and seminars and dealing with investors all across the country. It was great, but then everything hit the fan in 2008. So I left the origination side of mortgages to the, I guess you say the buy and the distress, the distress side where I was buying debt. Uh, direct from the same banks and institutions that we were once originating for. And I started sharing my journey with videos and case studies and talking about what I was doing because it was a very niche niche. You know, everybody understands, you know, I was heard here in the United States, we heard about the savings and loan scandals and the crisis and the mortgage, you know, the economic meltdown across the world. But a lot of people weren't familiar with that. It was kind of like that. Oh, it sounds like I think I know what it is, but most people don't have a clue. So I just started sharing what I was doing and buying debt with with YouTube videos. And then 2000, you know, 2010, I basically sold everything I own in Austin and started traveling the country uh, as a way to get out. Not only enjoy sports because I was now divorced at the time. I thought, why not go out and see all the ba- baseball parks and have some fun? And that. 30-week trip turned into over three and a half years of travel. But along the way, in my early first four weeks of that trip, I spoke at four different investment clubs, one in San Antonio, Texas, one in Austin, and then flew out to California and spoke at one in San Diego, one in LA. And it was funny. Every time I'd walk into a room, people were like, hey, I know you. You're the note guy. How, you know." And I was like, that's brilliant. And when you hear it from your audience and they repeat it, it's something that's catchy. And that's how I became known as the note guy uh, across the country. It's funny. Other people have tried to use, I'm the Canadian note guy or I'm the South American note guy. And I kind of, kind of chuckle a little bit, but that's how that kind of came about was just sharing my message and, and, and kind of branding myself. I didn't really have it. I mean, I had, we closed notes as our company and I didn't have the podcast and was doing webinars every Monday night. Um, but for the most part, that just stuck. And that's kind of, that's how I became known as a big goofy note guy. That's a great example of, of personal brand. And, and, and as you exactly say, it's, it's what people say about you when you're not in the room. Yeah. If they're saying, there's the note guy, there goes the note guy, then that's golden, isn't it? I mean, that you, can't- you, you, you know, it has been golden uh, in a lot, you know, wherever I go and travel and speaking. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, definitely it's good to be known for a niche. And so I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we've really hung our hat on that and, Dominate our niche because note investing is a niche than niches. You know what I mean? We have a small niche. They may say there may be 50,000 people here in the United States that focus on maybe 100,000 or more, but that's a small niche when you compare it to fix and flipping and landlording and, and wholesaling and everything else out there across the world. So, yeah, it's uh, so for the people who are listening that maybe don't know or understand note closing, can you give us the kind of Cole's notes version or yeah so every, pardon, pardon the pun Cole's no no, no. Notes. great I love it I love it I love it so here's here's everybody's in the note business if you've got a car payment a mortgage on your house student loan debt medical bills you're in the note space you're just on the wrong side of the payment stream you're paying out versus paying in and when I talk about notes what we're doing is we are buying that debt that um, you know has property residential commercial property as a collateral for it but we're buying the mortgage directly from banks and institutions and then becoming the bank. So if you've ever went out and got a mortgage on a house a month or two later, you probably got a letter that your mortgage had been sold to somebody. It went from ABC Mortgage Company to JP Morgan Chase or Wells Fargo or uh, uh, RBC Bank, whoever it might be. We're just a smaller version of that. We buy that debt 
But what we're doing is we're not just buying any type of debt out there. We're buying debt where the borrowers have um, you know, not paid in six to 12 months or longer, where they've gone through a bit of a financial hiccup, whether it was COVID or job related or got divorced or something. You know, Everybody goes through a financial hiccup at some point and they just are unable or unwilling to pay their mortgage. So we we buy that debt at a big discount, say the borrower owes 100, we might pay 50, 60 grand for that note, provided that the house that holds that note or is collateralized by them is worth at least 100 or more. So we'll buy that debt, become the bank, and then we make our money, uh, Paul, by reaching back out to the borrower and say, listen, I know you're behind, you're, up, you're upside down, whatever happened, can you start paying? Can, you know, can we modify the loan? Can we work a trial payment plan to get you back on track to home ownership to that, um, as they say, that dream of the American dream here in the United States is to own a house. But that's what we do. We make our money, get them back on track for six to 12 months, and then we can turn around and either sell that debt back to Wall Street or back to other banks or hedge funds because it's now considered a performing note. So if we bought it at 50, we may collect 12 months of payments or more, some down payment from the borrower, and then sell it back at 85, 90 cents on the dollar to the secondary market. So um, we're able to control a lot of property. I don't do, you know, without having to fix or flip it or go in that route. Um, so it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, we don't do any direct mail. All our uh, interaction for our sources is actually with banks. So our branding helps us with our banker contacts because we do a lot of drip marketing with uh, email blasts and things like that. And I've heard from time and time again, you know, from asset managers at banks that we buy from like, oh yeah, I got your green email because our logo is <laughs> green. And we just over time, I have, I finally have something for it because we all know 80% of sales are made after the fifth contact. And so we just send an email once a month. Hey, what do you have on your books this month or this quarter? And that leads us to getting these leads in that we can cherry pick from. And we make our money by turning problem properties into profitable solutions, basically. Okay. How do you find those people first? What do you do to, to initially get that email? Because that's, we're almost protecting our emails now. We're kind oh, yeah. of hanging onto them and so. It, totally great question. I love it. Um, our biggest advocate is actually LinkedIn. So we do a lot in LinkedIn. Um, I can go on LinkedIn and I can, you know, there's four basic, uh, four basic um, job titles, special asset manager, secondary marketing manager, whole loan trader, or chief credit risk officer, depending on the size of the bank or the institution. So we target LinkedIn with, um, you know, adding connections every day to that. We use a service called Octopus to kind of brand, you know, to reach out to market to them. We also are able to pull lists of licensed institutions and stuff like that from different state licensing websites, like here in Texas, where I'm at. It requires every uh, institutional mortgage banker to register. And then they allow you to actually go on and download that registration list for free. So I can tap into 6,000 banking contacts with emails and phone numbers in five minutes. And that's a matter of either reaching out via email, connecting with them on LinkedIn, or the old-fashioned dialing for dollars. And you know, making 50 to 100 phone calls a day or a week just to kind of touch base, make sure you're going to hold the right parts, person. So that's what we do with some, you know, new age branding. We don't do any direct mail for the most part. It's all leveraging the use of LinkedIn and, and social media a lot of times. And do you find that they're receptive to this? Is it, is it because they're, they're, they've got assets there that they want to get shot of? And it's therefore it, they're. It varies on the bank. Some, not every bank will have something that they're selling this quarter. And some banks, like I'm never going to buy from like the top five or 10 
banks like Bank of America, Chase, or City, they just want too big a, a, a check, you know, $50 million order. I'm not going to order that much. But we find the most amount of success from regional banks because banks are, are made, they make their money in real estate by lending. They're not in the owning the real estate side. And when they get a, a non-performing borrower who hasn't paid in 90 days, that value of that paper really starts to drop to them. You know, they lose five to 10% for every month somebody's behind. So it just depends on how the bank, uh, how aggressive they are in their underwriting, how much they have in distressed debt. There's ways to find out how much a bank has in distressed mortgages. And so it's just a matter of really building relationships, you know, following up. Oh, we don't have anything. Well, do you mind if I call you back? Most of them understand what's going on in the market with the craziness right now. And most are open to, yeah, follow up with me next month or follow up at the end of the quarter. Um, and we may get one note from them or we may get a thousand. And it's just a matter of following up and following up and just constantly trying to stay in front of them. Um, like I said, with, with phone calls, emails and, and, you know, LinkedIn messages, we, you know, there's some tools that we use to help automate that a little bit, but it's just that got to keep creating content. You know, got to keep getting in front of people and, and getting creative. Like I'll, a lot of times I've recorded a short one minute video of what I'm looking for and who I am. And I include that in the LinkedIn invite that goes out, or I include that in the email. And I see, you know, we have it specially linked so we can track it and people open it. And that leads to a higher response. Or like, okay, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. He didn't just take a class for somebody and dial in for dollars. He actually looks like the heck he knows. And then of course they go over to LinkedIn and see our experience. And they're like, okay, I'm more comfortable with that. And what about financing all of this? Great question. It's it's cash. I mean, we we leverage uh, OPM, other people's money, and uh, you know, it's the fact that we're buying these assets at you know fifty, sixty cents of as is value gives us a lot of flexibility in in working with the bar, but it also gives a great investment to value percentage to be at if you're an investor. And so we raise capital uh, from private investors, other people, you know, using um, their individual retirement accounts, the states, their savings, or other stuff, and. That's the same thing about branding as well. We're constantly branding about what we're doing, whether it's sharing deals that we're focused on or part of the reason we started a podcast four years ago was just to get the message out. Not only just what we're doing, it's also an educational arm, but it also it helps us raise a lot of capital for people like, hey, this is interesting. You know, I'll binge a, 100 episodes. I see you got 700 episodes or we'll jump on a webinar and hear you talk. And the consistent message, I think, is so important when it comes to branding of sharing the same thing and just being constant in front of your audience, um, that builds rapport. You know, we get a lot of times people that call me up or email and say, hey, I've been following you for six months or binge watch your YouTube videos or listen to your podcast. And um, I, I'm ready to do something. You know, I got right. 50 grand or 100 grand or I'm, I'm looking to buy a note. You have something that you can sell me to get my feet wet or get rocking and rolling. When you started in 2008 doing YouTube, that would have been an early time to be using YouTube as a marketing Oh, the very, old very flip, the old flip phones, the old <laughs> flip camera thingy. Yeah, this I have this year. Just right. it still works, but that's really? what I use. This is you know I, I had a uh, yeah you know, we all had the smaller phones you know I, uh, small phones with their rage back then nothing you know the flip phones that didn't have really yeah. good cameras. Well, I I, I wore like camera. three of these yes. things out, and it was so easy just to plug it into the USB and a little editing. And you know, I'm a big believer that uh, you have to embrace the kiss method. And, and we're not talking, you know, like Love Island or anything. We're talking like, keep it simple, Scott, or in my case, keep it simple, stupid. You know what I mean? And and I was very fortunate. A, a, a marketing mentor early on teach me, hey, delivered equals success. Perfection equals broke. 
And so a lot of my early videos aren't really good. I mean, they're out there, but there's not a lot of editing. I, I, I like to joke that I'm a one-take wonder. I've done enough screw-ups that in one take, I usually get it right or good enough for what I need to get the word out. And I think that actually helps people um, embrace me because they see me goofing up or not being completely polished. You know, they sweat running down the side of my face or they see me goofing up or laughing or, um, you know, cussing a little bit of myself. But I think that's what helps people embrace me. Like, hey, this guy is just a normal guy. He's real. Uh, let's. I, I, I want to learn more. He's, he's providing some goodies and giving away so much stuff where others charge so much for their stuff. He's really given the tools and the, the I say the, the pickaxes and the bowls if you're going to go out mining for gold. You know what I mean? Right. And YouTube now, uh, I think it was seven, eight months ago, introduced shorts. Yeah. The one, so you mentioned one-minute videos. Are you noticing a change from – because it, previously, people probably were quite happy to sit and watch 10, 15, 20-minute videos. But nowadays, I, I mean, I find myself – yeah, I can pretty much look at my look at my watch and I, I'm bored. I, I know I'm probably hitting three minutes. I'm kind of I'm starting to look for something else. So, so here here's the thing: we have actually seen an increase, an uptick in our YouTube videos over the last year, from basically eight minutes to almost fifteen to twenty minutes now, on average, of, of viewers. Now, I rare, I, you know, I have a hard time doing shorts. I have a few short videos, but most of my stuff is. It's long form content. You know, we got a lot of uh, podcast episodes that we shoot for 30, at least 30 minutes to an hour because we have that radio spots to fill that we like to reuse our rinse and reuse our media. I don't do a lot of chopping up. I probably could do more of that splicing videos into short teaser videos. But, you know, m- my audience for the most part is on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook and email blasts. They're not on the short term like Instagram or TikTok stuff. So, I haven't put much into it. Anytime we do a short video, though, we do see it does pretty well. But our content is is much more long form in, in that matter. So we've actually surprised because like every Monday night, we do a webinar. That's an hour at least. Last night, we, uh, Wednesday nights, we have a, a virtual RIA, a RIA meeting that we've started in the last month. That's two hours every night, every Wednesday night. And um, engagement's good in that, better than I thought it would be. And, but I agree. If you're spanning through short videos, do really work well in a lot of cases because it gets if you can get the message out. I'm just a long, long-winded fool. <laughs> <laughs> do you think COVID COVID has been part of that reason that people are spending long, longer watching, or do you think it's something else that? Oh, it, it's definitely COVID. I mean, it's, um, we saw that with our podcast numbers last year, where the numbers just dropped like in half, but we saw a steady uptick in YouTube videos. And so we really doubled down on providing, doing a lot more YouTube videos and slowed down on, on the uh, production of our podcast episodes. Now we, we film the same like you, we're filming this via Zoom, you know, we'll record it, you know, live via Zoom like this, then we'll throw it on Facebook and YouTube the next day, you know, it premieres, let's do an email blast out, and then we'll get it out seven to seven to 10 days later on our, our podcast network, writing a full blog, We'll also have it go out the following week on our radio network, just the audio. So it's it's kind of that's our kind of production challenge. But yeah, people are in front of their computers now more than commuting. They're not at the gym. They're not riding the bus. You know, they're less travel. So they're on laptops. So YouTube's a much friendlier, I guess you could say, platform. And then you also, it also depends on what age group, you know, age demographic your listeners are at. You know, our older crowd, I'd say 35 and above aren't spending a lot. Of, I mean, they're on their phones, but they do like sitting down and watching their information, but more versus the younger group likes to be on that vertical format of smartphones and stuff like that or tablets. So 
uh, you know, knowing who's listening and what watching and what kind of percentage it really should uh, be something that everybody watches when they're, you know, rolling out content and information for people to how they, uh, how they absorb it and how they uh, maintain watching it. And what content are you finding or what strategies are you finding work well for LinkedIn? Because that's a very different, it's more of a B2B type platform. And- so I, here's the thing. I'm, I'm disappointed with LinkedIn. I'm, I'm going to tell you that. Because I think they really missed the ball with COVID by not doing a mass rollout with LinkedIn Live. It's still a, a crazy formula to figure out who's been approved for LinkedIn Live or not. I'm still not approved. And that aggravates the crap out of me. Because I've got 26,000 connections on there that we interact with on a regular basis. So here's what works well. Short short video, 10 minutes or less on LinkedIn. And you got to post regularly on there. Um, you know, something valuable. It's good. Uh, one of the big things we teach our students, like, listen, if you don't have a video, post an article or something. But don't just post the link to the article. Don't be afraid to change, you know, share your opinion. But I, I'm, a, I'm the kind of the idea of uh, avoiding... You know, be the old bartender in me from back in college. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about a religion. And that seems about what any all anybody wants to talk about these days is those <laughs> hot butt items. So if you can find something, but really identify your niche, it, it's such a beautiful platform being able to identify your niche. You know, like if we have a deal in Georgia, I can go on into LinkedIn and find, you know, thousands of people in Georgia that would probably like to know about this deal or know about a case study, or know about something. So using Octopus, CRM.io, which works with LinkedIn, we were able to really target a lot of people with direct marketing to people and add value versus what most people are doing, just spamming people with their messages. We'd like, hey, you know, I'm an investor and I'm buying in your area. I'd love to connect. You know, or I have a podcast or did an episode on this and thought you might enjoy it on the, you know, the Atlanta market, stuff like that. So taking that extra step versus just a post, Take the next step. Who's going to value the most about that post? And of course, that's going to help you when you're picking keywords and terms, but also you realize that a mass blast everybody is not the right way. It's actually, as they say, the riches are in the niches. So identifying two or three niches for your message and, and sticking to them, you'll be a lot happier and you'll have a lot more engagement and more success no matter what you're doing. How important has that niche been? You staying focused on a niche? I just want to stop a second and ask you about your web presence. You know that people are going to Google and check you out online if they want to do business with you. And so it's incredibly important that you have a reliable, secure hosting web service and a stable hosting plan that provides fast site speed. And if you're installing a website for the first time, a nice, easy-to-use, secure, one-click system to install WordPress. That's why I recommend and use Bluehost, which powers more than 2 million websites online and is the number one recommended hosting provider by WordPress. It's got 24-7 support, which is really good, free security certificates, and a free domain name registration. Uh, Bluehost web hosting is a powerhouse. If you'd like to get a special offer through this podcast, go to the show notes from this episode, click on the Bluehost uh, image or link, and they'll take you straight there to get a special offer. Now back to the show. Man, so important. Um, in real estate, there's, I may piss some people off. And if I do that, that's okay. <laughs> I'm known, for, I'm not, I'm not afraid to do that. 
But everybody is so, comes to the real estate space. Usually they go to a big expo or a meetup group and they, they get pitched the whole idea of, oh, add another tool to your tool belt. You know, go be a wholesaler, go be a fix and flip or go do short-term rentals, hard money lending. You know, they get, you know, bombarded every month or every week with different tools. And I get that it's difficult to identify what's really going to work. And it's, with, you combine that with our lack of attention span and lack of patience, you see a lot of investors that get burnt out because they go from one thing to another, to another thing, to another thing. And they get just, they're upset because they spend this money and they do a little bit of work. And if they don't have instantaneous success, they move on somewhere else. Well, being hyper niche like I am, that's been one of the biggest things because my audience, my subscribers, my listeners, they know I'm not going to sit here and you know try to sell them on some new technique or tactic or anything like that that I'm focused solely on what I do. So when they want to come and, and find information about the note business, they come to the note guy, you know, the note, the note Jedi, I guess we've done some marketing in the past to, to help them with it, with, with what's going on. So that's helped us stay focused. My audience knows that if I recommend something, it's something that I'm using. I'm not just a kind of, uh, you know, slapping another sticker on my rear end to market myself. It's being focused in the niche and that's where you, you know, that's where a lot of people screw up. They try to go wide in real estate, especially a podcast. Should they go wide? Always better to go narrow, go deep. Don't go wide. Go deep into that one niche and go go down, and you'll 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 find success. You also find a lot better quality client for you in the long run. What? Uh, why do you think people are fearful of doing that? What What do you think it is that? It's just patience, man. I mean, we live in such an instant gratification society. You know, look, I can order and have McDonald's in my home in less than 10 minutes. I ain't got to cook. Or I can have stuff delivered. I can have literally spoon-fed without having to do a lot of work. And people just don't have the patience to build the business. And you have to, with with any type of business, it's being consistent. And actually, if you want to have yes happen to you, you have to learn to say no to other things. And you've got to give time for things to grow. You mentioned 80% of sales comes after the fifth contact. When you look at the statistics that less than 48% of people actually ever follow up with a lead or follow up with a contact, you know, that should, that's a 50% failure rate right off the bat. And you just got, if you understand that and, and use those numbers and percentages into your marketing, that, and then gamify like that. Like I know if I send an email blast out on something new, I've got to probably send it out two or three times and have the biggest impact and conversion after that third email. You know, uh, if it's something brand new, I know I got to share it not only on Facebook, but on LinkedIn and YouTube. I got to share it multiple places so people see. If you think about how many times somebody's sitting there and like we have the NFL kicking off tonight here in the United States. How many times are people going to see cheeseburgers and wings and pizza commercials throughout, you know, from five o'clock to 10 o'clock at night? It's going to be ridiculous, the amount of money for that. But that's why that stuff is it's just bombards us. And I don't want to say you want to bombard everybody with your product, but that repetition is something that we can all learn versus just sending out once and waiting for everybody to fall over with deal flow or money or credit cards, whatever. you got to hit them again and again and change the message up a little bit and add value along the way. Yeah, I think you've underlined that. Though. It's also adding value. You know, I don't think a pizza is going to add much value in my life except until, <laughs> you know, but but if, you add, but if you're providing content and you're adding something value, a market, uh, my I got a buddy, Nick, Nick Gurley with REI uh, Ventures Consulting, what he does is evaluate uh, different real estate markets in the United States and what's going on there. He's just started a YouTube channel less than six months ago. He's got 84,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel because he provides detailed content three times a week on different markets, what's going on, economic factors, 
and blown away, you know, because he's doing that on a regular basis. They're sometimes short videos, sometimes longer videos, but consistent, focused, you know, consistency and, and something of value. He's blown it away. It's, it's really helped explode his consulting business for, for real estate investors and commercial developers across the country because they know that he's keeping track of everything. Right. I saw one of your videos. You mentioned marketing tripod. Can you uh, explain what, what the marketing tripod is? Well, I think I've used it a variety of different ways here. The marketing tripod, I'm a big, in, in, in what we do, I tell people like, listen, your marketing tripod, you got to have video is one of the biggest things these days in this market. You got to have video because that's where everything is going. If you're not doing video, you're really getting left behind. The second thing I always say is you've got to have CRM. A CRM is important to be able to communicate with people. And then that third leg is going to be where your audience is at the most. For me, a lot of times is LinkedIn is a, is a third tripod. So, you know, we've actually, we actually call something called like the, the marketing octagon, where you take one piece of content and share it eight times. You know, Gary V talks about, Four times in his book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, but we talk about eight times, one piece of content. But that bare minimum tripod with our students and investors, like, listen, you got to use video, you got to do email blasts because that's still the highest ROI in marketing, 44, 4,500% ROI if you use it consistently. And that third leg is going to be using something wherever your audience is. If your audience isn't on LinkedIn or Facebook, be on Facebook. If it's not on Facebook and they're on Instagram, be on Instagram. But without video and CRM, you're, you're, Tripod's going to fall over for the most part. And so that's that's what we mean by that. You got to pick one, two, one or two things, dominate that before you add something else. And most people get overwhelmed thinking they've got to be everywhere and everything. And that's not the case. Pick a couple of things, but video and your CRM email blast, those are the two most important things. And then your social is me as the third thing. And what advice do you have for people that are fearful of picking up one of these and filming themselves or uh that's a, that, i see that usually is the biggest barrier most people are saying oh well no I, I'm, I'm terrible on video i've got a face for radio you know all the usual here's the here's the thing that i say hashtag embrace the suck okay <laughs> everybody sucks at it at first everybody does you're i look back at videos i did eight years ago and i'm like oh or 10 years ago i'm like oh you know 15 years ago, i'm like oh really like what the hell what the hell was growing on my face that time you know what i mean as, as Steph says, it was a woodland creature growing at one point. But anyway, you know, you have to realize that people aren't going to come to you because, well, maybe they will if you're the playboy or playgirl, but that's not what most people are coming to. They want to come with the knowledge inside your head. And these days, if you don't want to have your face on camera, there's other great ways to do it. You know, you can use animations, I think. But the easiest thing is the, the barrier to entry these days has gotten so easy and so inexpensive. Everybody's got a smartphone that you can just flip it around and either record it or do a Facebook Live or live. You're silly not to. And those that are refusing are the ones in the dark ages. It's the 21st century and Scotty's trying to beam you up and we're giving her all she's got, Captain, in helping you evolve in the 21st century. It's And part of that too, Paul, is that a lot of the gurus out there, the old school, they keep trying and telling people that it's the old way of doing things. You got to do so many postcards or so many door knocks. Like the first time I got shot at in Gary, Indiana from doing a door knocking was the last time I went door knocking. You know what I mean? But that's the thing. Seriously? seriously? Oh yeah. I've been shot at twice actually. One in Chicago, one's in Gary, Indiana. And I was trying to help the borrower. Okay. I had an 80 year old grandma pull a double barrel shotgun on me in Salt Lake city one time. 
And it's because people kept knocking on her door. So she'd cut out a spot in the screen door about yay big, just enough for that double barrel to go through Remington. And so it was funny when the cops came, they couldn't find it. But grandma was, you know, he ain't stealing my house. I'm like, whoa, I'm trying to hear to help grandma. But anyway, it's just people, people are scared. Uh, if, if, if they're confused, we all know a confused mind says no. Look, and you have to embrace, look, people don't want to look, look like a fool. They want to embarrass themselves. Just start doing a video. You get better. The growth, the learning curve is quickly and steep if you just do it consistently enough to get rock and roll. And that biggest fear is always that first video. Like, well, that, that wasn't that difficult. You know, I can always delete it and edit it and do it again and again. Just start getting it out there. You'll get better and, and hone your craft like anything else. It's like riding a bike. I mean, it's like walking. It's like trying to kiss a girl or a guy, whatever, the first time around. You may not be very good at it, but that didn't stop you from coming back for seconds or, or more. You know what I mean? Okay. Now, the thing is, you, you teach um, other investors to do what you do. Um, what, what advice do you have for people? Because you came from a corporate, a very kind of one of the biggest corporate banks in the US. So what what advice do you have to people to be a successful entrepreneur? Because if they're thinking about, well, I could get involved in this, it, it maybe it sounds like the kind of thing you do is is certainly possible to run as a side business initially. Yeah. But eventually I'm guessing people are dreaming to get away from the nine to five. You know, that's a, that's the thing we see is so much here in North America. So many people looking to leave their full-time job to go out with the biggest transfer of, I guess you could say, business or entrepreneurship that we've seen in, in decades. I will tell you this, anything. I, when I first went out on my own, I struggled. Uh, this is pre-working for JP Morgan. I went out to be a, uh, an entrepreneur but well before that and failed and went back into the corporate world for a few years. And the best thing I tell you is you got to get a coach. You got to get somebody who's going to help you hold your hand. If you go out and try to do it yourself, you you may take something that could take six months to turn into six years because you screw up and you mess up. Your learning curve is being much steeper, not knowing how to avoid you know the, the hurdles and the, the pitfalls that somebody who's been down that road before can help you avoid. And so I'm my my tenure at what I've done from uh, from going out full time at what I'm doing really since 2008. Is the success really dates back to the start of 2004 to 2008. I very fortunate when we were doing the mortgage company at Aero Capital, one of my business partners started doing uh, workshops with an amazing guy, uh, one of the, the smartest minds in marketing, a guy by the name of Roland Frazier. And Roland um, was a mentor of mine for four years. He taught me marketing, taught me blog writing, he taught me how to do some things creative and outside the box, not to be scared of that. And I was like, well, what do I have to lose? And these days, now you look at Roland Frazier, he's got the, uh, the Business Lunch podcast, but he's also one of the main guys at a, the largest marketing convention in, in North America called Traffic and Conversion Summit. And just that four years that I spent with Roland learning marketing and, and honing my craft and learning how to develop things and not be scared uh, and how to learn to implement something within 24 hours of learning is one of the biggest keys to my success now is that I went out and not afraid to failure. You know, it's like a game, a football game or a soccer game, or a hockey game. There's a lot of plays that are run that don't score, but you you get better the more you practice, the more you put them in place. And you realize that, you know, you're not, you're, it's going to screw up. But the point is, if you at least try something, you're going to fail forward and you're going to be that much further along from trying and implementing it than those that didn't do anything. So, if, you know, if you're trying to implement video or blog write or something to your marketing, give it 30, 60, 90 days. It takes actually 66 days to develop a habit. 
But if you look back after 90 days and you're consistent with it, you're going to be exponentially way further than you were back 90 days ago when you're like, oh, I can't do that. Well, now, yes, you can. You just have to embrace it or find somebody to help you do it because there's plenty of people out there that can help help you take those steps and, and get that marketing juices rocking and rolling for you. I love that piece of advice that implement something you've learned within 24 hours because we're so guilty of absorbing, 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 but then we never actually do anything with it. You know, Paul, I learned that too. Um, is I think we've all been to workshops, expos, Zoom conferences is the name of the game. You know what I mean? Virtual learning. And we get so, I mean, there's so much information out there. But if you spend time and money and you go to an event, whether it's in person or virtual, I mean, we've all spent thousands of thousands of dollars on, on training and stuff like that. My biggest thing was not trying to implement everything in 24 hours. It's impossible when you're not going to find success. But every workshop or event I would go to or event, I always try to find one to three nuggets. That's it. Just three nuggets that I can implement and start doing in the next 24 hours. Oftentimes, implement while I'm there in the room uh, with things. Like I, I remember going to an event um, and, and I came across Snipply, which is a great tool to kind of have your message look like you're advertising on major, you know, major you know, major uh, news articles like US Today or DS News. We've used that and it was cheap, like 20 bucks a month. Or also how to implement like Buffer remotely. Or just there's so many different apps out there that can add so much to what you're doing. You don't have to do it all yourself. I mean, that's the beautiful thing is we've got so many systems in place that I don't just spend it. Everybody's like, you're everywhere. I'm like, no, I'm not. I just have good systems or tools that will take something I do once and then share it across our network so that it's not me doing it eight times. It's me doing once. It's just reshared seven or eight times. You know what I mean, Paul? Right. So I have some questions I always like to ask guests. Um, Bring them on. What's your, what's your favorite personal brand or brand and why? Ooh, personal brand. I will tell you this, The Rock. I think uh, Dwayne Johnson has done such an amazing job coming from nothing, coming from that Miami football player who was kicked out of the CFL and ended up with $7 in his pocket to where he's at today. So I, I'm a, uh, I have a bit of a man crush on The Rock. You know, okay. uh, he's just done an amazing job and it, it becomes because he stuck with it. He honed his craft. He constantly worked on his and he works really, really hard. If you ever follow his Instagram, you see he's constantly still working out and constantly taking meetings. And um, that would be my favorite personal personal brand is, is Rock, you know, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. All right. Uh, favorite business book or podcast? Oh, that's, own, of course. <laughs> you know, the No Closure Show is pretty badass. So is How to Buy Real Estate at 40% off my book up there. But anyway, uh, no, my favorite book to read, I'm going to put a tie. One is is called is Tribes by Seth Godin. Um, a phenomenal book talking about how we are all part of different tribes at home, schools, friends, family, neighborhoods, and that our tribes are looking for leadership. And we, it's, it, we should really be the ones leading if you don't, then what happens is you have bad leadership fall in place, which we've seen all across the world with, with the wrong people leading. Uh, and then the second one uh, is a bit of a motivational one, but it's Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. And it was uh, originally written in 1938, but not published till the, the late 90s or early uh, 2000s. And it's a book where Napoleon Hill, who's the author of Think and Grow Rich, interviews the devil to find out how the devil is successful. And in the book, um, I don't know if he was tripping on mushrooms or whatever like that, but the devil says that the way he's successful is taking successful people and, and 
causing them to drift, causing them to get shiny object syndrome or to like, you know, squirrel, squirrel from like can't focus. If you look at the most successful people in the world, in sports, business, whatever, it's the most focused. And they have learned to avoid distractions. They, you know, cut away. They're very focused, like Elon Musk putting 80 hours into his average week versus 40. He gets twice as much stuff done. People saying no to things. And it may just say no to friends and family for a short period of time while you're working or going through school or whatever it is. But that's one of the most valuable things is to, is, is to really say yes to what you want to accomplish in your goals and dreams. You have to say no to the distractions and the things that will take away from your time, your energy, and your drive. So that's probably, I mean, I've given away hundreds of those books throughout the last couple of years, and they're always my top two that I recommend. It's just, I, I read Tribes every year and Not With the Devil. I, I probably read it once or twice a year. Do you have a, you mentioned a, a bunch of uh, tools like Snipply and Buffer. Do you have a favorite new tool or resource that you're enjoying using? Yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm really enjoying, um, I would say OctopusCRM.io that works with LinkedIn. I'm really enjoying messing around with that. That's helped us quite a bit over the last eight, well, it's longer, but last year, taking my LinkedIn connections from like 6,000 to 26, 27,000 people and connecting there. But I, uh, you know, we also use TubeBuddy, which is a plugin to help you with your YouTube videos and channels. And so that's really helped me take my channel from the last, uh, last year from 1,500 over 5,000 subscribers. And so that's, you know, implementing some simple things of showing you keywords or adding other things to your channel. Uh, two, two, two tools that I'm in almost on a daily basis that I love using that I've, I've implemented in the last little bit of time. But those are, the, right. those are it for the most part. I mean, there's always different, there's like some cool tools out there, some interesting tools in our commercial note space and stuff like that, that we're coming across and other things. But those are two tools I think everybody can use. Cool. And a favorite quote. Oh, I, I, I'm going to butcher this, but it, I because I, I always screw it up. I always screw it off. So I'm going to actually pull it up here before. I usually have it as my signature on the back. Um, it's by Ralph Waldo Emerson, and it's this quote about go, do not go where there is a uh, where there is a rug. Go and said where there is no path and uh, there is no path and leave a trail. I think it is. I'm going to screw it up on that, but let me read it for worse here because uh, it's it's such a good thing and it's kind of something that's really. Uh, here we go. Um, damn it all. Where is it? <laughs> Do not go where the path may lead. Go and stay where there is no path and leave a trail. And back when I started doing what I was doing back in 2008, there was no path. There was no guides. It was really like the Wild West. And uh, we really pride ourselves the last 14 years. We've really built a trail uh, to help others follow on our success. Um, and uh, we've, we're so proud of the fact that we've helped so many other investors tap into our niche and, and do really good and um, make make great income, life-changing income, and not only impact themselves, but impact so many bars across the country as well, too. So that's my, my favorite quote. So. Wonderful. So any final pieces of uh, advice from, from the note guy? <laughs> you, you have to, uh, the best bit of advice is the only thing that you will guarantee by not taking action is failure. Think about that. If you never take action, you're always going to fail. And it, it's kind of goes in line with Wayne Gretzky. You know, I've, if, if, you know, took fat millions and millions of shots, like you know, Michael Jordan, you know, I've, you know, I've taken, I've missed more shots than most people have taken. That's the same thing when it comes to market. We've done more stupid stuff and other crazy stuff to have fun. And it did, it did well or didn't do it. But I think what you have to realize is there's only one of us 
and there's only one of you. So don't go out try to be the next Gary V. Don't go try out be the next uh, Jasmine Star. Go be you. You have a gift and a message to share. So don't be afraid to embrace yourself, embrace the suck, and and go out and leave a path where others can follow for you. I love it. Well, I am sure people are going to be making notes rapidly all the way through this episode. So we appreciate your time, Scott, and your insights. And uh, have yourself a brandtastic day. Well, you know, Paul, thank you for me. And everybody, while you're listening here, go up there, hit that subscribe button, and hit that little review. Leave a five-star review for Paul. He's doing an amazing job with his podcast. I know we probably don't say it enough, but we as podcasters love seeing reviews. We love hearing from our audience. So hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star review for Paul. If you're not going to leave a five-star review. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Scott. Have a great day. Hey, thanks, Paul. <laughs>